Hello and welcome to this epochs. I thought this week we'll take a hiatus from the story, the narrative of the kings and queens of England, as we've been doing that for a few months now. And uh, I wanted to flip over and talk about someone, something else. And before now, somewhere I've threatened to do the turtles, i.e. Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello and Raphael. Well, I've decided that although interesting lives, both Donatello and Raphael don't really warrant a whole epochs about them. But what I do want to do is Leonardo and Michelangelo. So in this episode, I'm going to talk all about Leonardo of Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci. And I may even do an episode, I think I really want to do an epochs, all about the Medici family, the rulers of Florence, on and off, sometimes rulers of Florence. Um, as a as a last one in a three there. So we I will be returning to the the story of the kings and queens of England. But for this one, just a bit of a, a palate cleanser, if nothing else. I'm going to take us to Renaissance Italy and talk all about the life of Leonardo da Vinci. Now, once or twice when I've been doing epochs, I have felt that the story, the person is so great that I'm not worthy even to tell the story. I have got a feeling I've got a feeling in my bones doing Leonardo. I felt that way about doing Wellington and Nelson. Um, nevertheless, it shan't stop me. But um, it's such a great life. He's so famous, obviously famous for being a genius. And it's undeniable. It really is undeniable. He's sort of, he's a genius amongst geniuses even. Um, and not just for painting. Obviously, there's, there's the Mona Lisa, arguably the most famous painting in the world. And there's the Last Supper in Milan. But he was so much more than just a painter. He was sort of, a, did sculpting. He was a civil engineer. He was a musician. He, he did inquiries into human anatomy and the anatomy of animals. Um, he was very, very interested in geology. Um, even in the very, very, very earliest telescopes and the stars, the heavens. Um, he's very interested in the dynamics of water. He was fascinated by flight, by birds, and if man could ever fly. So he was a, a polymath, you know, a, a true Renaissance man. He was interested in anything and everything. In fact, that's the thing I think that, that really characterizes Leonardo above anything else, is his insatiable curiosity. This idea of, you know, why do things work like that? Why is that the case? How does that work? You know, why do people get old and die? What's that about? How does that work? How, how is it that birds can fly? How is it that water behaves in this certain way? Why is it that there's seashells found at the top of mountains? And on and on and on, endlessly. <clears throat> you know, why, is, why do we paint in this certain way with these certain glazes and paints and oils? And why can't we do it a different way? So, well, just to start then, on his early life, he was not born to any great station in the world. In fact, he was a bastard. His father was a, a minor notary, he always gets described as a notary, in other words, sort of a, um, not, a, not a complete peasant, but no one of that importance, but had a little bit of money and learning. And his mother was like a 14-year-old peasant girl, farm girl. And so when he was born, he was illegitimate, he was a bastard. Nothing wrong with that, I myself happen to be a bastard. 
My mum and dad never got married. Now, in this day and age, or even in the early 20th century, it was an issue, it was a problem. In the early 21st century, no one cares. I'm never going to go to an interview and someone asks you if, if your mum and dad were married. It just doesn't happen. Well, in the, in the 15th century, it was massive. It meant that he, could, he probably wouldn't ever be able to join a guild even. He was, of course, eventually. But at birth, probably doomed to never being able to even enter a guild. He'd probably have to be doomed to being fairly lowly craftsman or even lower his whole life. Um, now, we know that doesn't happen for Leonardo because he's so special, sort of truly special. So where his mother was so young, he grew up in his father's household, and we don't know exactly, but might not have seen his mother or his mother's side of the family much after that. Um, she went on with her life, being a child, a 14-year-old, she went on with her life and later got married to somebody else, and Leonardo didn't have much to do with him. But what he was was something like an autodidact. In other words, he taught himself. Uh, we know that he had a little bit of formal tutoring in reading and writing and arithmetic, but only a small amount. Everything else he taught himself. And that is really, really remarkable. Because it's one thing to have sort of a, a first-class education and go to university and be a postgrad and then a doctoral student and then many years later come up with something ingenious. Okay, there's that. And then there's, you're just a kid from sort of rural Tuscany and just you, the, by the pure power of your curiosity, you make yourself into one of the greatest geniuses of all time. Really quite remarkable. So you can only imagine, he's from Vinci, the small town of Vinci in Tuscany, not far from Florence. And apparently his childhood was, sounds fairly idyllic, he was sort of allowed to just sort of roam the fields and meadows and, and riverbanks and things and just, and just observe the world. Seems really nice. Um, and he was given quite free reign. And at one point, his father, he'd done some drawings. At one point, when he was still a boy, or a young teenager sort of time, his father saw these drawings and sort of immediately realised that there's, there was some natural talent there, or more than a natural talent. He was sort of, if you can believe it, sort of immediately brilliant at drawing. Some people have got a knack for it. I've never been able to draw. I wish I could. I could just download the talent like it was in the Matrix. I would. I'm terrible at drawing. Um, but as a draftsman, apparently he was a great draftsman, even as a boy. Just superb at drawing. So his father took him into Florence and to see if he could, you know, work in one of the studios of one of the sort of famous artists. Um, and that's what happened. And so from a young age, or certainly from his teenage years, um, he sort of picked up the thread of a career that way, thus avoiding having to be, you know, a labourer or something, something fairly lowly like that. So I'm going to read today a lot from the work of Vasari, The Liars of the Artists. Uh, and b b b but before I do, I want to say a word or two about Vasari. So Vasari lived about 100 years after Leonardo, and Leonardo's dates uh, is the late 15th century. So he was born a year before Constantinople fell, if I recall. 1452 he was born, and he dies in like 1519. So Leonardo's life straddles, uh, you know, like the second half of the 15th century and the first couple of decades of the 16th century. That's Leonardo. Vasari lived about 100 years after that. And Vasari was a 
fairly great artist in his own right. I believe he did, he painted the inside of the dome of the cathedral in Florence, the Duomo, the great dome in Florence. I believe the inside of that is painted by Vasari. I could be mistaken. I think that's right. Anyway, he was quite a, quite a good artist in his own lifetime. Uh, but he was more than that. He was the Medici family's go-to man for all things artistic. So being a painter in his own right, but also he commissioned everyone else that the Medicis wanted. And he organised everything, architecture, buildings, because at this point it's worth pointing out, at this point in time in Italy, if you were an artist, you weren't expected just to do paintings. You were well, not necessarily expected, but you could easily do a number of other things like civil engineering, like architecture, the designs for, for buildings, um, uh, painting and drawing and, and any, any, any number of things could come under the sort of coverall term of being an artist. It wasn't just painting and quite often not necessarily oils on canvas, very, not on canvas at all really. Quite often paint on wood. The Mona Lisa is painted on a bit of wood. Often you're commissioned to do frescoes, i.e. painting directly on to plaster that's on a wall, so not on a canvas at all. So among the things the Medici asked Vasari to do was to write a book which basically glorifies the Medici in terms of all the great artists they'd ever commissioned. Because by the age of Vasari, the Medici had dominated Florence on and off for a couple of hundred years. And in those couple of centuries, they'd commissioned quite a lot of, of great artists and architects and things. You know, least of all, people like Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo and Leonardo. So Vasari was asked to write a book about all the most excellent artists that the Medicis had ever, had ever commissioned. And the two greatest ones, sort of by far, are Michelangelo and Leonardo. And their lives overlapped. They met. They, they knew each other. They hated each other, actually. I'll get into that in a bit. Um, but so Vasari is writing a hagiography. You know, he is right. He's, he's bigging up Leonardo as much as possible, really, you know, to shed even more glory on the Medici. That was his job to do that. Um, so as long as we're aware of that, we can take it. We can. The account is good. It is, it is considered a safe account, relatively safe account, but we know he's being paid to, you know, not necessarily bring up all the bad things and, you know, stress all the good things. But as long as we're aware of that, Vasari is still by far the best account of Leonardo's life. Because there's, so, there's been so many books written about Leonardo, been so many books written just about the Mona Lisa, that for these great people in history, you could easily get swamped with endless reading. But most of the secondary literature around him, they're, they're just taking it from, from Vasari. So I thought I'll just read most of Vasari for you. Do let me know in the comments if you think the amount of reading I'm going to do in this one is over the top. You'd rather I just tell the story in my own words, or if you think it's okay, or if you'd want more reading done in the, in, in the future, let me know. Uh, my copy... <laughs> My penguin paperback copy of Asari is quite literally, actually falling to pieces. Um, I've been reading it on and off for years and years now. Um, 
But yeah, let me just jump straight in then. Vasari says this, speaking from the 16th century, says, quote, In the normal course of events, many men and women uh, are born with various remarkable qualities and talents, both occasionally and in a way that transcends nature. A single person is marvellously endowed by heaven with beauty, grace and talent in such abundance that he leaves other men far behind. All his actions seem inspired and indeed everything he does clearly comes from God rather than from human art. Remember an Italian of the 16th century is going to be very uh, pious and religious so that will sh shine through here or there in what Vasari says. He goes on, everyone, everyone acknowledged that this was true of Leonardo da Vinci, an artist of outstanding physical beauty who displayed infinite grace in everything he did and who cultivated his genius so brilliantly that all problems he studied, uh, uh, he solved with ease. He possessed great strength and dexterity. He was a man of regal spirit and tremendous breadth of mind, and his name became so famous that not only was he esteemed during his lifetime, but his reputation endured and became even greater after his death. So that's the thing to stress, that the reason why Leonardo da Vinci is considered such a genius is that he did lots and lots of things first right so it's all very well to build upon the work of other people and create something of genius out of it but to have that first spark of inspiration that first original idea Leonardo just did that over and over and over and over again I think perhaps in the world of art anyway Turner, the English artist Turner, did things that were sort of a hundred years ahead of his time, created some art which no one had ever seen before. People have taken that style and that sort of thing, um, like what it looks like when you look through a rainstorm, for example. People have gone on and, and built on that and arguably done better versions of it. But the first person to ever dream of doing it, that's incredible. Now, Leonardo did that over and over and over again, and not just in the field of painting, in the field of all sorts of things, nearly everything he turned his hand to. One of the biggest problems he had was that he quite often didn't finish his work, his projects. He would start a project or even be paid to start a project and fail to finish it. Now, I think we're all guilty of that sort of thing. I've started many a project in my life, quite a few novels and not finished them. Uh, that's the way it goes, it's human nature, isn't it? It's, it takes a special type of dedication to finish a big project. Uh, but it seems that Leonardo had a, a, a sort of a, an actual real problem with it. It, was, it seems that like it was very difficult for him. Some have even suggested, although there's no way of knowing this, that he might have had what we would call some sort of attention deficit issue, um, that he couldn't stop himself from not finishing large projects. He couldn't stop his mind, his endlessly curious mind, from just moving on to a new thing. He didn't seem to care very much or really at all about money. He never went hungry, so he never cared about making fantastic amounts of money. If someone had commissioned him to do a certain piece of work, he would rather just forget about the, the fee, rather just forget about the money and just move on to something else. He was interested in the intellectual pursuit of something far more than finishing it. There you go, that was just the type of person he was. It was, it was infuriating for everyone around him. 
Um, I mean, he's, a, he's known as one of the most famous artists of all time. I think there's like 14 or 15 paintings that survive of Leonardo, but not very many. Quite a lot of artists, even Renaissance-era artists. Um, we've got dozens and dozens of them. But Leonardo, there's only, I think, 14 or even 15. The biggest collection in the world is in the Louvre, and they've got five. So they're extremely rare, extremely, extremely rare. I'll let Vasari continue. <clears throat> this marvellous and divinely inspired Leonardo was the son of Piero da Vinci. He would have been very proficient at his early lessons if he had not been so, so volatile and unstable, for he was always setting himself to learn many things, only to abandon them almost immediately. Thus he began to learn arithmetic, and after a few months he had made so much progress that he used to baffle his master with the questions and problems that he raised. For a little while he, he attempted music, and then he was very soon resolved to learn to play the lyre, uh, for he was naturally of an elevated and refined disposition, and with this instrument he accomplished his own charming improvised singing. All the same, for all his other enterprises, Leonardo never ceased drawing and working in relief, pursuits which best suited his temperament. Realising this, and considering the quality of his son's intelligence, Piero one day took some of Leonardo's drawings along to Andrea del Verrocchio, who was a close friend of his, and earnestly begged him to say whether it would be profitable for the boy to study design. So a word or two about this Andrea del uh, Verrocchio. Verrocchio was an extremely famous artist. He was arguably, perhaps, one of the most famous artists in Florence at the time. Uh, um, Botticelli was probably the most famous. But, but Verrocchio had a great studio. Now, a 15th century Florentine artist's studio um, would have been quite something to behold because, again, just to stress the point, it was much more than just painting in this one studio, this one big open space. You would have had people working on civil engineering projects, on design of all types, architecture, painting, drawing, big, small, everything. Um, almost actually, it's more like, it seems to be more like a sort of a research and development program. You know, like they're trying to work out how to build, for example, when Leonardo first gets there, they're trying to work out how to build a two-ton golden globe thing, or not golden, brass, globe object that they want to put at the top of the Duomo, the big dome in Venice. So again, in the 15th century, that wasn't easily done. How do you make this sort of perfectly spherical two-ton thing? Then how do you hoist it to the top couple hundred feet in the air? Um, you have to build a crane from scratch and countermeasures. And they, you know, the science isn't really there for that particularly. So they have to do it all from scratch. So that's one corner of this artist's studio. It's much more than, than an artist studio. Um, but it would have been a great place, of course, to learn. If you had a curious mind, if you were one of those people, one of those little boys that just endlessly love learning, it would, there was no place better. And so Leonardo's father did him a great service by taking him there. And Verrocchio, apparently, again, immediately recognised that the boy had talent. And it certainly was worth considering 
taking him on. He wouldn't be made a sort of a formal apprentice for a few years yet. Um, but as I say, Verrocchio immediately saw um, saw the worth in in the young Leonardo. Vasari goes on. Um, Andrea was amazed to see what extraordinary beginnings Leonardo had made, and he urged Piero to make him study the subject of of drawing and painting in the first instance. So Piero arranged for Leonardo to enter Andrea's workshop. The boy was delighted with this decision and he began to practice not only one branch of the arts, but all the branches in which design plays a part. He was marvellously gifted and he proved himself to be a first-class geometrician, i.e. you know, one of the very, very important disciplines in working out why things behave they do, um, still, you know, in its infancy in the, in the 15th century. Uh, but Leonardo was apparently gifted at it, you know, sort of straight off the bat. Um, Vasari goes on. Vasari goes on. In his youth, Leonardo made in clay several heads of women with smiling faces, of which plaster casts are still being made, a uh, hundred years later, i.e. in Florence, um, as well as some children's heads executed as if by a mature artist. He also did many architectural drawings, both of ground plans and of other elevations. And while still young, he was the first to propose reducing the Arno, that is the river that runs through Florence, to, to a navigable canal between Pisa and Florence. Pisa and Florence, the two city-states, were quite often at odds with each other, if not at actual war with each other. He, Leonardo, uh, made designs for mills fulling machines and engines that could be driven by water power and as he intended to be a painter by profession he carefully studied drawing from life. Sometimes he made clay models draping the fi figures with rags dripping in plaster and then drawing them painstakingly on fine rim cloth or, or, or prepared linen. Actually one of those stories is that what he liked to do is drape a, a piece of cloth or linen across an object and have it lit by candlelight and then draw a sketch of, of, of how the, the fabric folds and then move the candlelight so you get a whole different set of shadows, light and shadow, and then draw it again from the same position. Now you've only moved the candle, the light source, and draw it again and again. And uh, well, uh, practice makes perfect, right? I can only imagine that is very helpful to becoming a great artist, especially being able to sort of render clothes and fabric. These drawings were done in black and white with the point of the brush, and the results were marvellous, as one can see from the examples I have in my book of drawings. Beside this, Leonardo did beautiful and detailed drawings on paper, which were unrivalled for the perfection of their finish. I have an example of these in a superb head of coloured silver point. Sorry, showing off a bit there. Altogether, his genius was so wonderfully inspired by the grace of God, his powers of expression were so powerfully f fed by a willing memory and intellect, and his writing conveyed his ideas so precisely that his arguments and reasoning confounded the most formidable critics. In addition, he used to make models and plans showing how to excavate tunnels through mountains without difficulty so as to pass from one level to another, and he demonstrated how to lift and draw great weights by means of levers, hoists and winches, and ways of, of cleansing harbours 
and using pumps to suck up water from great depths. His brain was always busy on such devices, and one can find drawings of his ideas and experiments scattered among our craftsmen today. I myself have seen many of them. He also spent a great deal of time in making a pattern of a series of knots so arranged that the connecting thread can be traced from one end to the other and the complete design fills uh, a round space. There exists a splendid engraving of one of these fine and intricate designs. So once again to say, Leonardo was more than a painter. In fact, I would go so far as to say being a painter was one of his lesser skills. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.